listening to the Lone Star Play podcast with your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Lone Star Plate podcast. I'm in a great mood today because we have a phenomenal episode. Our interview today is with Robert Evans. Here's his book right here. It's called After the Revolution. Phenomenal book. So he's here to talk about the book and the potential sequel and things around it, like inspired by how he wrote it. Um, I give a nice introduction about Robert here in the interview. So uh, we'll get to that in uh, just a second. Um, it's a phenomenal book, y'all. So I highly recommend checking it out. We'll put a link in the description. You can get it just like this. Really, really cool. So again, amazing, amazing conversation. This will definitely not be the last time we have Robert on. Um, before we get to the episode real quick, I do want to mention our social media. Please check us out online. Our TikTok is blowing up, y'all. So please follow us on TikTok. Just search Lone Star Plate or at Lone Star Plate. Um, Instagram, Facebook, we're on there as well. Um, YouTube, if you're watching us on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button, leave a like, and a comment. Uh, that really helps these videos, and we definitely enjoy the engagement. If you've ever commented on one of our videos, you'll notice we try to comment right away if it's a question or something, right, uh, for the most part. So ask us stuff. Feel free to leave comments. We will definitely respond and have a conversation with you. Uh, so thank you so much for supporting um, and we really look forward to all the future content that's coming out, guys. Uh, real quick, the UFO episode that we did not too long ago, um, just a couple weeks ago. That one is just performing so well, guys. So thank you so much. That's a great video. We have another, uh, our season finale is going to wrap up that story. Um, and there's more to come, y'all. There are huge bombshells I'm going to drop in that video that have not been released to the public about Luis Elizondo. Okay, so not to take over this episode about that, but just so you know, please watch that season finale. Again, it's not in the news anywhere. So, um, yes, I had a key conversation with one of, with Luis Elizondo's representative, okay, um, out in California, private conversation, and we'll reveal all the details, things that have never been released publicly. So anyway, let's get to this episode, y'all. Robert Evans, amazing author. Again, I'll give a nice introduction to who he is. So let's jump into this episode and um, enjoy it, okay? Please, again, check out his book, After the Revolution. All right, guys, here he is, Robert Evans. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to another episode of The Lone Star Plate. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Thank you again to uh, Austin music legend Bob Schneider for recording our new podcast, Intro and Outro. So please check out his tour schedule. He's playing all over. Good out there and support. Bob, we have an exciting and thought-provoking episode today. My guest is Robert Evans. He's a journalist, war correspondent, podcast host, author, activist, and I'm hoping an optimist because he is here to discuss his novel After the Revolution, which is a fictional, bordering on non-fictional, story set in 2070 Texas, 20 years after an American Civil War. And I hear there may be a sequel on the way as well, so we'll find out about that. We'll also put links in the description so you can uh, get the book if you haven't read it already. I've personally only scratched the surface of this novel, so we'll uh, learn about it together. We're going to learn a little bit about Robert, his career that led to writing this book, dive into the book itself to give you a taste, its implications, and talk about the accompanying podcast of the same name. And as always, we'll parade around any other topics that come up. So welcome to our very special special guest, Robert Evans. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. 
Uh, so, yeah, so we're talking a little bit. You're from Texas originally, from the Dallas area. Yes, I am. I mean, I, I grew up, I was born up uh, close to the Midwest, but I grew up first, uh, first memories are in Oklahoma, you know, in um, uh, maybe a couple hours from from the DFW area. I lived in Idabel. And then when I was like 10 or 11, moved to uh, the Plano area and went up through elementary, middle, high school up there and then moved to Dallas when I was 18. Well, Richardson and then Dallas when I was like 18, 19. Okay, so there's the Richardson influence. Yeah. Uh, oh, in. yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was the first place I lived outside of my parents' house. Yeah, yeah. And for those who don't know, I mean, most of our listeners are, I would say, Texas-based, but not all, uh, to yeah. be honest with you. Um, it's just outside of Dallas, basically in between Plano and Dallas, you know, sort yeah. of. Yeah, right? yeah. It's a little, I mean, one of my favorite things, I lived in the barrio, and so I would go to, like, the fiesta on the, the weekends when dudes took their lowriders up, and we would just, like, <laughs> eat tacos and drink micheladas and look at neat cars. Like, Hell yeah, it was, it was fun. Hell yeah. Well, you're talking to a uh, Mexicano here, so I appreciate all of that. Um, yes, I, I did not grow up in El Barrio. Um, anyway, all right, let's jump in. Um, look, there's been a lot of attention. Actually, I'm curious, Robert. Um, just <laughs> I've been watching The Offer recently, so there's another Robert Evans in that. I'm curious if there's uh. just been some like extra <laughs> extra attention thrown on you because of that. I mean, yeah, it took years before like my name would show up in a Google search. I, I in <laughs> retrospect, I should have gone professionally by something different. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's fun, you know, because I've as I've as my Career's gotten more prominent. I've made connections in Hollywood, including with some people who worked with the the other Robert Evans. Oh wow! Um, he died unfortunately before I could yes. do cocaine with him, but that would have been <laughs> that would have been quite an experience. He seems like Holy he was a character. <laughs> Absolutely! Can you imagine Godfather stories? Cocaine, oh, man. Robert yeah. Evans. Good God! That's bucket what a list, wild man. dude. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, I was just curious about that when I was uh, looking it up. I was like, oh yeah. man, that 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 must be uh, either nerving for him or he just lean into it right it's one of those things what, what do you do uh, about it so anyway um well look uh, before we just sort of jump in do you mind just giving our our listeners and our viewers just a quick synopsis of the book itself and then i'll jump in uh with some questions here yeah i mean it takes it's it takes place um like you said about 20 years after the end of a civil war and the united states is balkanized so you've got like a lot of the northeast is a country that's kind of a direct successor to the old u.s California is more or less a, a police state uh, under the LAPD. The Northwest is is doing its own thing. And then a lot of the Southwest, due to a lack of water and a variety of other climate change induced problems, is kind of a patchwork of uh, some city states and a lot of failing states. And Texas um, spent some time as sort of a libertarian rump state and is now in the process of crumbling under a civil war between religious extremists and the people who are not religious extremists. Um, I kind of based a lot of what was, you know, my idea of future Texas on things I'd seen in Iraq, particularly in the Kurdistan region. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so the, the story starts with a fixer leading people through, leading a journalist through the old Metroplex to report on the fighting uh, against a, a theocratic militia. And um, from there, we weave in the stories of a teenage girl living in Virginia um, who's attempting to leave her like secular family and flee to the uh, the 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 Islamic State equivalent kind of down in Texas. Um, and then the other character is Roland, who's a, a, a basically like 
the the uh, like uh, living PTSD incarnate in a human being. Um, um, but also with what are effectively uh, superpowers granted to him by very bloated U.S. military budgets. Heard. Wow. Great. Um, look, this is actually, um, as I was sort of diving into this research, you know, putting everything together for this, it, it, it hit me. I mean, I like to do this a lot when I start with things, really just get a baseline for definitions of even certain words. So mm -hmm. I'm curious what your definition is of civil war. And do you think there are even different definitions of it? I mean, yeah, because it, it's always different, right? Because usually when you talk about a civil war in an American context, you, people think back to the last one we had, right? Um, which, which was which was a really simple civil war in terms of what went down, right? One big geographically contiguous chunk of the country fought another big geographically contiguous chunk of the country. That's an easy kind of civil war to wrap your head around, right? You know, there's some complexities about how different battles went off, but the basics are pretty simple. Um, but modern civil wars don't re haven't really looked like that. I mean, every now and then, like up in um, Cameroon, you know, with Amazonia and stuff, you get that kind of clear geographical region fighting the rest of the country. But like, look at Syria, you know, you've got this incredibly diverse patchwork of different militant groups, many of which are opposed to each other and a mix of the state fighting them and losing, fighting them and winning and just withdrawing from some areas and allowing, you know, new kind of powers to fill into the gap because the state loses its capacity to enforce um, you know, order in those areas or enforce its version of order in those areas. And I, I think that's more what, because of the internet, because of the way, just the, how, how quickly things move these days, um, how ideologically uh, messy everything is. I think that's more what we would see in any kind of mass civil conflict in the United States. So what I kind of envision um, when I think about and what I'm envisioning specifically in this book and what I've envisioned in my other work where I talk about what I do think is a legitimate chance of a, a large scale civil conflict in the U.S. is um, quite a few sides at once and probably a lot of conflicts coming not from someone being like, let's fight the federal government, but from someone saying, hey, the federal government is occupied with all these crises. Um, they're not doing anything here. We can start inside the, the optimistic version is like we can start filling those needs and, and build our version of a, a better society. And the pessimistic version is, well, we can go and start purging our enemies and and taking over and, and gaining power. And I, I see versions of that happening um, in a bunch of different parts of the country. Again, balkanization is kind of the, the name of the game in terms of what I think is potentially realistic as opposed to I don't see like the South seceding, you know, from the United Correct. States, right? Yes. Yeah, because it's not built like, right? We're so messed, right? right? I mean, is it East We're, and West and Middle or what is it, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, and is it urban or rural, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like in Texas and everyone outside of Texas, I think, sees it as just like this red state. But if you live in Dallas, you live in Austin, you live in Houston, you live in San Francisco. No, that's not, it's much Correct. more complicated than that, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yes, absolutely. Which is why, the idea of a civil war in modern time now, especially in our country, and our society is what does it look like? You know, right. It, it, it just that's not so easy as an easy divide and north south. And let's do this. We'll meet there in the middle and fight. Uh, right. So like, yeah it, yeah, it includes technology. You've got uh, so many mix of cultures here now that America didn't used to have. Right. I know we we started that way, but now it's so diverse. Right. America's got to be the most diverse country in the world, in my opinion. 
I can't imagine what other country has so many cultures in it. Um, I just don't know how that would play out. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so this idea, your book, and you know, first of all, why? Yeah, why? What? What? I mean, I know you've answered this question a million times, but I, I gotta know, like, why write this? What are you feeling? Some impending civil war? So you want to like warn people? Is it just for fun? Is it a mix? Is it what? Yeah, I mean, I, I I've had this vision in my of the, that became this book in my head for. 15 years before I actually got it written down. And it came, I think most of the early sort of sense impulses that, that made me want to write this came when I was taking huge doses of research chemicals and like wandering around Lakewood, Dallas, uh, or, or downtown Dallas with, with my friends as a kid and thinking about, cause yeah, I grew up in a very right-wing environment and then, uh, kind of, exploded out of that into, you know, folks who were essentially anarchists. Um, and I, I felt for a while, like the conflicts, the social and political conflicts within Texas, um, weren't getting any better. Um, and I, I don't feel less like that now. Um, and I, it, it's obviously, sure. it's, it's the entire country, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, at this point I've lost track of just because of my work covering protests, the number of like people who have pulled or pointed guns at me or, or other people over shit like wow. vaccinations, you know? Um, so I, I, you know, there's a, I have, I have a well of pessimism about the ability of us to peacefully resolve our differences. Let's say that. Sure. Um, I certainly don't want, I've seen several civil wars close up at this point from Ukraine to Syria um, to fucking Myanmar. I don't, that, that like, I, I can't give anything more catastrophic for the globe than an American civil war. It would make, everything we're dealing with now vis-a-vis -vis climate change look like fucking small beans. Um, just because oh, that's of, interesting. So yeah. like <laughs> our civil war would cause more damage than let's say another country's civil war to the rest yes. of the global. Uh, of course. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Damage, I mean, right? the yeah. United States is already like the number one emitter, right. Of, yeah. uh, in, in the world and like war yeah. would not reduce the amount of pollution that you, yeah, that's a good like, point. Yeah. I, I mean, we're like a structural beam right in the building yes. of the world. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, it, it wouldn't be good if that were yeah. to happen. Um, sure. But yeah, so I, I and again, there's a, I, I don't think I wrote a dystopian novel, but it's not a utopian one either. It's just kind of the world is and, and I think this tends to be accurate. The world, different areas get less fucked up and more fucked up over time. The world's broad stockpile of fuck up, fucked up at this, I think, stays pretty constant, you know? <laughs> I love it. Yes, absolutely. What what uh, what particular like ripple effects do you see as America having like the global effect? Like what what specifics? I mean, we're we're one of the major food producers on planet Earth. We export a tremendous amount of food. Um, yeah, a yeah, lot of true. a lot of countries are deeply reliant on USA. Sure. Um, so I, I see food crises on a global scale. Obviously, I think there would be local food crises within, you know, what is currently the continental United States, if there were some sort of a breakdown, because a lot of regions of the country are, are completely reliant upon import to feed themselves, right? You have a couple of regions, the Pacific Northwest is one, kind of the Great Lakes region is another, that are capable of sustaining their populations with the food that is like kind of grown Local and cultivated area. in those yeah, areas. Yeah. That's but Southern California can't, right? The Northeast sure. can't really, sure. you know? Sure. Um, yeah, you live in New lot. York City, right? Like, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. You yeah, you're not yeah. going to. So there, like, there would be some local issues. But I think broadly yeah. speaking, if you're actually looking at 
and this is this is not I I think inconsistent, but like however many people died as a result of fighting within the United States and disease and other kind of direct war causes, I suspect more people would die globally as a result of the the food prices shooting up, energy issues, all the kind of shit that would come with the U.S. civil war. Because as you said, the United States is, this is both good and I mean, not not to say that it's positive, that like the U.S.'s role in the global stage is always positive when you call it a support beam, but there are a lot of things that are reliant upon the United States functioning as a geopolitical entity in the way that it does, because it's been the big power for so long, there would be some really gnarly knock on effects. Financially, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. X. Yeah. Yeah. You're and, right. And, you know, and you would have, you know, China, other, there are powers who could potentially come in and deal with like, okay, well now we're going to, you know, provide aid or whatever. We're going to deal with this. Um, Boy, that would be so interesting, right? America having foreign aid brought to us here. What yeah, would that I, look like right, like in foreign weapons potentially. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah, like, right. It, that's it, crazy. Who wouldn't have an interest if that conflict sure. got big enough? You know, like that that's is a good a point, thing, right? That's like, a good point. Which is yeah. why the argument of why we do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Of course, I, like I, there's nothing, there's nothing special about us that would mean that like if something happens in the U.S., other countries don't have an interest in backing one side or the other, right? Like, sure. Why do societies inevitably get to a civil war? Has there ever been a society to avoid a civil war and flourish, right? Or inevitably, societies are built on previous civil wars anyway, right? So all societies are built on the backs of some sort of civil war, or you could just say internal conflict, right? So, yeah. Right? I, I, mean, I, I mean, I know there's a lot there, but... Yeah, right? obviously no society avoids internal conflict. They don't all collapse from it, right? We have a variety sure. of reasons why societies collapse. Um, oftentimes it's like an invasion from outside, right? You have a lot of cases of like civilizations in history where it's like, well, who knows where they would have gone if so-and-so hadn't invaded at this time. You know, if Cortez sure. doesn't land, what happens? Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, a lot of societies collapse for environmental reasons, right? So they they either do something that renders their environment unable to to sustain them. You you saw this in Mesoamerica in a couple of cases, um, or just outside changes to the environment render their existence unsustainable. And they don't like we talk about it as collapse. The people who live in those societies don't do it as collapse. And in fact, they probably within the span of their lives may not notice much has happened at all other than, oh yeah, you know, the central government is less of a thing. And now it's this like local, you know, this township government. And that's kind of the thing that I have more of a dealing with, but maybe it's not so clear that like, you know, the, the Incas are gone or whatever. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 Generally collapses like on the ground level people. It's the same, like the Roman empire, right? Like if you, if you were to go back to the fall of, quote unquote fall of the Roman empire and talk to a bunch of people in the Roman empire, a lot of them would be like, what do you mean the Roman Empire's fallen, right? Like, yeah. what are you yeah. <laughs> like I never thought about it like that. I'm honestly. still paying taxes I, to the same dude, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Wow, I never thought about it that way. You're absolutely yeah. right. That's that's so interesting. And it's entirely possible a conflict in the United States, rather, again, than just being a bunch of armies, is you would have, you know, it, it massively increased levels of terrorist attacks. You would have uh, disasters that the government was less capable of handling, and you would have states and maybe other kind of more local organizations taking more power, um, maybe even more autonomy for themselves. And But people would still be like, well, yeah, I mean, I live in the United States. I can't easily get to like California or Arizona anymore. Like travel is more of a pain in the ass and like everything's gotten worse, like it got worse with COVID. But like 
um, that's it's still the United States. And then maybe sometime in the future, you know, 100 years down the line, historians will be like, oh, no, by that point, the United States had, had ceased to exist and the federal government only controlled X percent of the, you know, the old territory and stuff. But maybe people wow. who were living in it at the time would be like, I mean, less aware of that or just less because, you, you know, there's there's other shit happening right on your day to day. Um, you often don't think in in those kind of terms. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I, I think I will. I don't know if I'm going to say that like a civil civil wars are like inherent in every society has one if they last long enough. But I will say if you've had one before, it makes it. And this is something that scholars of civil wars point out. If your if your country has had a previous civil war, you're more likely to have another. And Boy, did we have a previous one. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, depending on how you define it, right, and de depending on how you look at it, you, some people in this country could say we're already in the midst of a civil yeah. war, right? And, and, so. and in fact, again, the historians may argue that it started Correct. in 2015, 2020, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, Who knows? Yeah. Absolutely. That's so interesting, man. Yeah. That is so fascinating uh, to think about that, to be, how, how history gets framed right in retrospect in hindsight mm -hmm. um yeah that oh, that's fascinating hi thank you so much for listening to this episode with robert evans hope you're enjoying the conversation as much as i did when i had it um real quick jump right back to this this is a segment we call reheat just want to tell you about a past episode we've done and that you should check out so Today's episode I'm going to tell you about is one that just came out a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned it quickly in the introduction. It's our episode on UFOs. I know that sounds kooky, uh, but it's not, right? It's an accepted topic now to, to, to discuss uh, because it has been proven that there are unidentified flying objects flying around the world that all governments have no idea what they are. At least that's what they're saying, right? So anyway, we did a great comprehensive uh, report and video on the topic and on the subject. Um, so please check it out. We'll put a link in the description. There's also an extended interview with the ufologist that we interviewed in that episode, UFO Jane is her name. So we also have the extended version of that full cut, uh, full uncut interview. It's an hour and a half. So you've got the regular episode. And then on YouTube, we put uh, the extended interview with the UFO, with the ufologist that we interviewed for the show. So anyway, we'll put both links in the, in the description. Please check those out. And again, please stay tuned for our season finale where we wrap up that story and drop some major bombshells. I gotta repeat that. Like this stuff has not been repeat, uh, released to the public. I'm hoping in the next few weeks it doesn't, so it doesn't ruin our story, but whatever. Uh, we wanna release it right uh, because I can't say anymore. Honestly, I can't say anymore, so please stay tuned for that episode. At the very end of July, it will be our season finale, last Monday of July. So, all right, let's get back to the episode with Robert Evans and continue this phenomenal conversation uh, with this just fascinating person. All right, guys, back to the conversation. Thank you so much for supporting and watching. So what, what sort of, uh, I'm curious, like, some interesting feedback you've gotten on this or some interesting either arguments or topics that's brought up for you or made you question maybe something you wrote or look at it differently or I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, that's a good question. Um, I, uh, I going to Syria, 
which I did while I was editing the novel, but I hadn't gone to when I wrote it down. There, there's an element to which I, I think if I had written more of the book after going to Syria, aspects of it would have been more optimistic because what I saw in Northeast Syria and Rojava, which is kind of, it's, this is what the news will call like the Kurds. It's, it's actually a much more diverse movement than that, was, was profoundly optimistic. And um, I think perhaps I would have tried to insert a little bit more of that into the book. Um, the thing that I think was a mistake was putting a date on it, 2070, because um, number one, that seems kind of far out now in terms of how bad the conflicts in this country have gotten. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, I, 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 these are the decisions you make when you're, when you're writing it. Of course. course. I, uh, I, I, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I obviously 2020, the, the Black Lives Matter protests um, had had some influence on some of the things I did reworking it um, because uh, I, you know, I was there in Portland for for the whole of that thing, which was which was gnarly oh, wow. um, and was also oh, wow. like, yeah, helped give me some insight into because a lot of the characters in this are kind of old revolutionaries, you know. Um, and, and so that helped give me kind of some insight into the way I thought they would talk and kind of the anger, the things I thought they would still be angry about and, and, and would be, and I think more of that's going to show up in the sequel, um, for sure. So, yeah, let's talk. Uh, I, I, if, if it's okay, I'd like to ask a couple of questions about Portland and Black Lives Matter, cause I saw a particular video I want to ask you about, but real quick. Um, so there, what can you tell us about the sequel, our listeners? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm working on it right now. I'm 30 ish thousand words in it. It's going to take place a lot of it in New Mexico. Um, so we're going to, we're going to get to meet the King of Albuquerque, um, which I'm very excited for. Um, it's a decent chunk of it's going to take place in the Navajo nation. Um, you're, you're going to see Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, so it'll, it should be, I'm, 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 I'm interested in it. I'm liking writing it so far. Uh, it's definitely, a little bit more difficult than writing the first one was in some ways because the story kind of scope expands as opposed to being kind of uh, limited pretty narrowly to North Texas, right? Um, but yeah, I'm 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 enjoying writing it. That's awesome! Wow, thirty thousand words in like that's just like chapter one or something. That's like something <sighs> it's like the first seven or so. Yeah. Oh I my god, that <laughs> sounds insane. 120,000 words, which Holy. is longer than I intended it to be. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what made it to the final, right? So I would imagine there was uh, yeah, some stuff. A lot, that, a lot got cut, a lot got reworked, you know, as is uh, always the case, right? Yeah, yeah. Question. Right. How how odd would it be? I wonder if in the history of writing novels, has anyone ever written like word for word the novel? Does that make sense? Like never cut one thing. You know what I mean? Just I mean, the perfect. Yes. That's the, interesting. Right? I don't know. It's not. It was not perfect, but like a lot of the old you know, what people call the golden age of science fiction, right? So you're talking about like, I think like the thirties through like the fifties or so. Yeah. Where like yeah, yeah, got, yeah, you've okay. got guys like Asimov and, 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 yes. Heinlein and L Ron Hubbard particularly was famous for, he would just write sometimes he, he would have tens of thousands of words in a day and then just sit, ship them off unedited. Right. Uh, um, and so a lot of his books are just like the stream of consciousness <laughs> that he, that he, that he drawled out and then mailed to an editor. Yeah, that's um, hilarious. That's I wouldn't call hilarious. them like perfect books. Yeah, but perfect. He definitely did publish books that were effectively unedited, you know? <laughs> One takes, right? One yeah. take doesn't mean yeah. the best take. No, no. Uh, he just didn't give funny. a shit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God. I could go down the uh, Ron, uh, Hubbard rabbit hole with you here, but. Um, Couldn't we uh, all? 
Could we all? Yes, <laughs> and, and I have. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Anyway, um, The Master, check that out. I, I recommend that movie. Yeah, um, we also did my podcast, Behind the Bastards. We've done six episodes on the man, including oh, the wow. time he tried to summon the Antichrist in the desert using his cum with a rocket scientist. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a tale. <laughs> Hang on, you can't yeah. just drop that on me. I got to take was, that in for he, a second. He was briefly <laughs> friends with and then stole the girlfriend of the guy who invented modern rocketry, who was a wizard, um, in addition to being a NASA scientist. And the two of them tried to summon the Antichrist in the desert using sex magic. I mean, that just it's sounds quite like... A, it's quite a tale. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds so insane, right? Um, God, the truth is stranger than fiction, man, right? Like... At the end of the day, it feels that way. Um, okay, so I saw this video. I want—I honestly couldn't tell if it was you, but it said it was you at it's it, from the Black Lives Matter YouTube channel uh, confronting some guy, like some guy who's in riot gear, and you're sort of oh, in riot yeah, gear too. You got uh, your phone. Is that, that is that real? Swinney. Yeah, yes, that was that's Alan it. That was the day that's my hand. It. Another guy broke my hand with a baton that day, but um, oh shit. no, Alan, Alan's a big fucking gutless sack of shit. So he didn't, he didn't do fuck all. He, he just relies on, he was a big, he's a big guy. He had like armor and a gun and he relied on that to like scare people. Um, but he's just a big fucking baby. And if you just like stand in front of him, he doesn't do shit. Um, you stood like, your ground, man. Yeah. You stood. Yeah, your ground. I, even during that fucking fight, all he, there were some like fascists there who would do like go up and square off and like try to fuck you up. Alan like stood behind them with a paintball gun and just shot people with paintballs. He's a big baby. And now he's in prison for forever because he menaced a bunch of people with a loaded handgun for no reason, which is a several felonies. Jesus Christ. Absolutely. He's such no. a stupid asshole. His <laughs> eyes in that video, like I'm watching his eyes. And I didn't, I've never seen the, I didn't know the guy. I never heard yeah. of the guy. I'm just like, who is this psychopath? Like he, he just looked so great. And I hated that he had Texas on his. Oh yeah. No, uh, that really bothered me, man. I hate seeing shit like that. That, that kills me uh, right here. Cause I love this great state. Uh, yeah. It was two Texans. I guess. Um, yeah, so yeah. you, you do have kind of like <laughs> the different sides of, right. Of, that's of, Texas. Of, that's the Texas, complicated, right? uh, yeah. Texas, right? Yeah. That's a, that's, that's interesting. And of course we both wound up in Oregon where many, I meet a lot of Texan ex <laughs> and we all have, like, I moved, uh, I just, I moved to the West coast at least and eventually up to here. You remember that summer, what was it, 2011 or 2012, where we had like 70 something days above 100 in a yes. row without, like yes. that's, yes. I was like, I, ca I can't do this anymore. Like yeah, I gotta get out the of here. fuck out, you know? Like, it was 100, 100 degree uh, plus God. days, right? Like yeah. it was it was insane. I, yes. I was, I don't blame I was in a Marfa when that fire started, the one that burnt like what, half a million fucking acres? Like I yeah, watched yeah. that fire eat Mount Marathon. Like we oh, were, right. cause you know, Marfa, it's one of those little towns where like, Everybody works at three different businesses in town. Sure. So my my got Alpine and, my, and yeah. yeah yeah exactly. Yeah. We were like bar hopping and and it, so all of the locals just entered town from their homes and it was just like sitting with people talking about like oh there's there goes our house there goes our neighbor's house like like oh, literally man. watch it like it was fucking that's wild. horrible that's yeah. horrible how surreal right like uh, we, that's we, surreal. We, we got to the hotel that night and the people who owned it were volunteer firefighters. So they had just put a bucket out in the, in the, um, the office room with keys in it. And we're like, just take a key, go have a room tomorrow. There will probably be someone for you to pay. Like, wow. 
Yeah, it was wow. it was it was wild. <laughs> all right, that's crazy, man. Yeah. Uh, wow, God, you've been all over the place. That's that's, that's insane. Um, oh, I love Marfa. Yeah, I'm all Marfa's great. It's one of my favorite parts of Texas, absolutely. And you'd be yeah. surprised, right? Like how many people from Texas have never been out there, which is crazy. Oh, it's fucking dope. Oh, I oh, love it's, Marfa. Yeah. It could be, I mean, God, am I going to say this? Yeah, I think I am. I, it's like my most, it's the most beautiful. That's gorgeous out there. Like view to mm -hmm. have in Texas, in my opinion, is to go out there to Marfa yeah. and there's so much and the, the just to drive out i could just drive yeah. around like it's yes yes absolutely yeah uh, well you know, bringing back memories man i used to i played the marfa music festival out there one year and just had a blast yeah oh, man, what a great uh it was in july too that sucked yeah that sucked it was hot as hot mm -hmm. as balls but anyway um okay so you're up in portland for all of this that happened you know there's a lot of strong feelings about like black lives matter now especially oh boy. Even just the riots what happened in portland uh how they compare it to like the january 6th yeah uh, i mean right like it's crazy. That's all pretty exaggerated right like, what absolutely happened in portland was nuts but it was about like two or three blocks where most of it happened and it wasn't yeah. you know you did have in cities like buildings burnt down and stuff that didn't happen in portland we had uh some plywood on buildings charred mildly by people right and then shit at the federal courthouse was nuts but most of the damage done at the courthouse was the, the feds pumping in more tear gas than has ever been pumped into a city in the united states um <laughs> which did a, it was fucking i watched a there's a video online that i took that's like there's a, a basically a little tornado of tear gas that formed in between four buildings oh um, my god fucking wild um, oh my God. But like from what I saw, that was the that was the the worst of it, right? Was the was the what the police were doing? Like there was there was like some looting and stuff. There was looting everywhere. I I don't I don't tend to get too precious about the looting, but when it comes to the actual violence, it was like these fucking feds, a lot of whom came from were effectively military special forces units, just going bug fuck on a bunch of sixteen year olds. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, God. that was an insane time for sure. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of been the whole, like what's happened with black lives matter now. Um, I don't know how to feel about it, man, to be honest with you, because it's oh, you like mean the organization I, with all yes. the money and shit. Yeah. yeah. Fuck them, right. Like, I right. mean, any, any, so I, I was horrible. speaking more of the broad movement than the no, no, for sure. But that's, but that's actually what I yeah. want to bring up is because yeah. I feel like it's more nuanced. I feel like you can have two opinions, meaning I can I can hold Black Lives Matter as an organization accountable, but also say the movement right is is still needs to move forward in the idea behind it. For sure, right? so, so one shouldn't uh, uh, you know dilute the other, which is how people yeah. look at things, right? It's like, oh well, now that that's over, that sucks. Black people suck. I, I don't know. I mean, that's how some uh, you know Texans will will take this attitude, which is um, uh, kind of insane. But that's the whole political climate I mean, as a whole, right? I might say, again, I tend to look at things from an anarchist perspective and looking at an organization like Black Lives Matter, I don't think that organization probably should have existed. And part of it is because it was inevitably going to be a place where a shitload of money got directed during a time in which a lot of people had spare cash and just wanted to put it into something that would Correct. make them feel good. And then a small number of people wound up in control of what was going to happen with that pile of money. Whenever you build, that's building a system of power, right? And yeah. giving a lot of power to a small number of people. And it that never really ends well. And that's yeah. not what the, the 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 kind of motivation behind the movement 
was that there's very different ways in which black people are treated by law enforcement and by our government. Um, and there's systemic violence that's being done. Uh, and, and that's bad. There's no, there's no need for a small number of people to have millions upon millions of dollars to disperse, to deal with that problem. Um, the problem is, is not go, is not one that can be solved by that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not surprised that like a bunch of people who suddenly got a huge amount of money did corrupt shit with it because that's <laughs> basically what always happens when a yeah, suddenly yeah. A, a group of people point. get access to a huge amount of money right it point. never it almost never makes anybody better right yeah yeah <laughs> that's a great point absolutely yeah i think a lot yeah. of people paid like thinking they're paying reparations right. or something well and i think know? a lot a lot of people were you know they, they watch some horrible video from like you know police cracking down on a protest or they watch george floyd get fucking murdered and yeah they want to do so. Everyone's again. You can't divorce them. Everybody's fucking trapped in their houses, right? Sure. Um, exactly. And I, I think most people, it was it legitimately was like, I don't know what I can do. Maybe I because of like pre-existing health conditions and stuff, I cannot go out. I can't do anything. And this organization is kind of the most publicized place that I could send some money, and I I, I want to help. I think most of them. I think most of that came from a fundamentally pretty noble place, but it's also this kind of flawed idea that's inextricable from America, which is that like the solution to major systemic problems is put together a bunch of money, you know, um, which it, it doesn't seem like increasingly large sums of money have solved many of our problems. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Of course, because it's then, then that becomes what you focus on, right? What, what, what happens with this? Uh, yes, corruption. Uh, people people get in the way of what we need to do, right? We get in our own way, I guess. Is what yeah. I yeah, yeah. Um, look, I, I saw an interview you did on, um, it was like a, you know, ask me anything sort of thing. Um, and I heard you talk about gun control and gun responsibility. And I, actually, I thought your your comments surprised me a little, but, it, but in a good way. Um, I think a lot. Okay, let, let's let, let me just ask this. So, have your views on gun responsibility, gun ownership, whatever you want to call it, gun control, have they changed recently? Because that was a few months ago. I saw this in February. This video you did, and right, the recent mass shootings, everything that's happened. Of course, even in Texas, here has any of that changed for you? Or I don't know. No, I mean, not really. So here's the thing, um, as regards my opinion on guns. Uh, number one, I'm not one of these people who says there's nothing that can be done. I think there's a lot that can be done um, in order to uh, reduce the number of people who are capable of getting the tools to allow them to carry out mass shootings. I'm, I'm fine with, for example, federally ending the ability to do face-to-face -face transfers, which is the thing you can do in Texas, right? Where I hand you a gun and now it's your gun and nothing else needs to be done, right? As long as I'm not an FFL and you're not um, like, uh, like I don't have to do any kind of background check on you. You can do personal transfers like that, um, which is how a shitload of the guns that get to Mexico get to Mexico, right? Sure. The, the, the fact that that's so legal in a lot of the Southwest is a big part of why that happens. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm open to things like waiting periods, open to things like raising the age to buy a semi-automatic weapon. I fundamentally disagree with banning categories of arms, and I fundamentally disagree 
with doing stuff like increasing the excise taxes to make an AR-15 crazy expensive. I do not think the solution to our problems is ensuring that only rich people get, get quality firearms. And I do not support anything that would make it more difficult for marginalized people to acquire the means of self-defense. Because in the United States right now, we have 400 million privately owned weapons. 20 million of those are AR-15s at least, and it's probably more like 40 or 50, because there's also a lot of AR-15 style weapons that aren't. Anyway, we have no idea how many of these weapons are out there, but it's, it's an impossible number. This is the most heavily armed country in the history of the world. I don't think I don't believe there has ever been a nation in which more people were armed to a military standard. Um, And the the greater proportion of those people have a very specific set of political attitudes and a decent chunk of those people who are on the right um, have expressed increasingly aggressive uh, and violent wishes towards subsets of the population like LGBT people. And so I think. When you also factor in the fact that the cops tend to be on that side of things, um, and certainly, as Uvalde shows, have no meaningful capacity to protect people. The police in the United States are bad at that as a population, which doesn't mean you don't get individual heroic people like the the officer who died in Buffalo trying to stop that shooting. Um, But as an institution, the police are not capable of protecting people. You have a lot of folks who are armed and expressing violent desires. The best thing I can think to do at the moment is ensure that the people who might be threatened have the capacity to arm and organize themselves, right? Um, Some of this comes from the logistical issues that would occur if you attempted to, like, number one, constitutionally, with this Supreme Court, you are not getting an assault weapons ban that's going to stick at the federal level. Constitutionally, with this Supreme Court, you sure as shit are not going to be confiscating guns. And even if you were to somehow get a Supreme Court together that would allow you to ban and confiscate semi-automatic weapons, how in Christ's name are you going to carry that out, right? Like who is going to take those guns? How is that going to be done? Um, This is not Australia where it was a couple of hundred thousand weapons initially that had to be confiscated. Again, 400 million, most of which are semi-automatic. So, I, uh, I, I, I fundamentally, I, again, as a, I'm not a, I don't care about the Bill of Rights. I'm not a, 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 an America founding fathers fundamentalist, but I, I am someone who believes that fundamentally human beings have a right to self-defense. And if, I think it would be a better country if nobody had these weapons, but if the cops have them, you know, if rich people have them, uh, <laughs> I don't think the solution is just in making it impossible for marginalized people, people of lower income and stuff to, to have the tools of self-defense. I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. So I totally hear what you're saying. You know, I've always had this, um, thought, uh, you know, I grew up in Texas. I, I personally don't have any guns. I'm not just not a fan of them, but I've never been a proponent of other people not having them. I don't care. Right. Uh, yeah. do what you want. I do what I want. Um, but I've always thought, okay, this idea of self-defense, which which I agree, but I think the idea of self-defense is multifaceted. So I think we concentrate too much on the idea of a weapon for self-defense because then we need to identify, well, what are the most obvious threats that come into an average person's life? Are they violent threats from a stranger, an aggressor, right? No, more than likely the threats are everyday things, right? Health, 
cars, bills, money. Those are the threats in a normal human. But why don't we have self-defense for that? Like healthcare, right? So you can defend your body, which is more, more, I think healthcare would do more for you and your life than a gun would ever do oh, to protect absolutely. you, right? And your family, right? A good household, good, you know, air conditioning, airflow, right? Like healthy, clean, right? Like all these things that I think are, we could do better for ourselves and our families to actually protect ourselves from the real threats uh, that are out there. But not to say that guns can't be a part of it. I just think that's the only argument that's brought up for self-defense. And I think we could push some other things in there to help. I agree. And this is something I talk about a lot on my show. It could happen here that, that community self-defense firearms are a fairly small part of it and should be a small part of it and should not be, if that's ever the focus of a community self-defense organization, then what, exactly. you, what, what you have is something potentially quite dangerous. Yeah, yeah, um, and this is part of my issue with the police is that they're so weapons oriented. Um, firearms do exactly one thing. And the thing that they do when you need to do that thing, they're the only thing that it can that can do it. But you don't often need to do that thing. What you do need to do a lot more often is ensure that people in your community have food, have access to stuff like insulin, have access to other kind of medical things they need. You need to be able to ensure that like when the fire season comes around, that's a big thing here out west. And it's, it's not a small thing in Texas, you know, yeah. that your community can take care of itself and, and, and the people who live in it and can try to deal and minimize the damage that those fires do. And so one of the things we've seen up here in Oregon, because it because of how much the protest kind of galvanized people is the growth of, you know, for all the flaws of the Portland protest movement, and it has been fractious and nasty at times, a very capable mutual aid, um, like mosaic of mutual aid organizations have formed. So there's in the city of Portland, there's a wood block, which provides uh, wood to people to burn because a lot of people's homes are heated by wood. So in the winter, um, some folks who have like trees and stuff on their property that have fallen, call them, they cut them up, they cure the wood and they provide it for free to people who need it to heat their houses. You have an optical block who 3D prints um, frames for glasses and helps hook people up with lenses that are donated and tries to make sure that people can see. Um, you have uh, organizations that do things like provide food to food kitchens and, and, and cook meals for houseless people who I just met the other day. I was out running on one of my running routes and there's an organization of um, some formerly houseless people that are working with uh, some large encampments to do trash pickup and stuff to like keep their areas clean because that's yeah. for everybody. Um, all of that is community defense. And, and all of that is community defense that's most of the time much more uh, impactful than anything you could do with a gun. Now, there are times when the guns are necessary, don't get me wrong, but sure. they're never going to be as necessary as food and medicine and community and um you know, all that stuff. When the, one of the things that was really interesting in 2020, kind of at this, the thing that stopped because Portland famously had more than a hundred nights in a row of protests, most, most of which were declared riots by the police. Um, we, uh, in August, the fires hit and they hit bad. Uh, Portland had the worst air quality on the planet. Um, it looked like you were walking through a yellow. I lived in New Delhi for a while and the AQI was worse in Portland substantially than it was in New Delhi during this period. And the protests stopped and all of these groups that had organized themselves around providing body armor and respirators and, and protest medics and stuff started gathering and distributing supplies and helping set up. You had all these people fleeing from outlying areas from the fires and like needing to set up uh, temporarily you know, to, to, to live in the city in order to, to not be burnt up and stuff. You had these thousands of folks 
um, massively redeploy resources that they had kind of built the capacity to gather and hand out um, as a result of the protests, pivot very effectively to deploying those resources to protect people who had lost everything in the fires. And presumably a significant chunk of those people were folks who prior to that uh, would not have felt very positively about these protesters. Um, so I, I thought that was really cool. And I thought that was a good example of the kind of thing I think is going to have to, is going to be happening. And, and it is happening. You, you see similar things occur in Minneapolis. Um, similar things are occurring all over the United States. I saw, I saw different mutual aid groups forming and executing in, um, in Dallas during the, uh, the snowstorm. I was in Dallas when everything got horribly snowed in. And my connections, the people who I reached out to to like gather supplies and, and distribute them were like a, a local left-wing rifle association who pivoted their capacity to helping uh, some street medics provide tools and resources to like homeless and, and housing insecure people, people who had like lost power and were like freezing, um, you know, that kind of stuff is really cool. And that's, that is the, the, the kind of community defense that I think is most important. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Great. Great. Uh, little speech, the mini speech there. I loved all of that. Uh, that was great to listen to. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, ma'am. Um, Look, let's uh, real quick before we go here, I don't want to keep you any too much longer. Um, let's just mention real quick the After the Revolution podcast. Um, we'll add a link in the description so people can check it out. Um, uh, it's a direct retelling of the novel, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the audio book, uh, but it's free. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah, it's no, no. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, and, and so is, by the way, you can obviously, you can buy a copy. You can find a copy on Amazon. You know, if you sure. just look up After the Revolution, you can go to AK Press, my publisher, and get a copy. If you go to atrbook.com, there's a free ebook. So the ebook is free and the audio book is free. There's ads on it, but whatever. Um, and you can, you know, you can access it either way there. So if you don't have any money, you don't need to have any money to be able to read the book. Awesome. Uh, actually, at the very beginning of this episode, I will have a copy of the book. They sent me one. It just hasn't gotten oh, here good. yet. So I'm going to do a little intro with the book itself and links and all that stuff so that people can Great. get it. When does the sequel, is there any date more or less? Uh, I'm hoping to have the rough draft done this year and then okay. hopefully early next year it'll come out. But that's a little bit, you know, you can't you can't quite plot out the, well, I guess if you're like Stephen King, you can do that in a weekend, right? Like I'm sure he'd be on his like fourth one of these right now, right? Like, yeah. I, he's a I special am not, kind of guy he's though, a right? very yeah. special kind of guy. I am not that kind of guy, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm hoping it will be out next year, yes. Oh, that's awesome, man. Uh, well, okay, well, let uh, why don't you let our audience know just how they can stay in touch with you? Um, that'd be great. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter occasionally at I write okay, less often these days. Um, there's a subreddit for my podcast. Uh, if you type just type behind the bastards Reddit, you'll find it right away. Um, and then you can listen to my podcasts behind the bastards and it could happen here on the cool zone media network, which is part of iHeartRadio's network. Yeah, those are great too. Uh, great podcast. We'll put links in the description, all that, man. You got a bunch of stuff going on. I love it. I wanted to talk about everything, but you know how these things are. I got to narrow the the conversation down. So uh, yeah, look, man, look forward to having you back on uh, later down the road, especially when the sequel um, comes out. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate it. I think our listeners are, are going to love uh, this conversation we had. So um, I really appreciate your time today, man. This was awesome. That's great. All right. Well, thanks, buddy. Absolutely, brother. Thank you again, right. Robert. Have a Bye. good one. Bye-bye. 
All right, guys, what an absolutely wonderful conversation with Robert Evans. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please, again, check out his book, After the Revolution. Uh, and I look forward to the sequel coming and finishing this book. I haven't even had a chance to finish it yet. So, um, again, just phenomenal conversation. Robert's a very interesting guy, and I want to get him back on to talk more. R really, really do. So we are going to make that happen. Um, if there's any other guests that you would like us to interview or whatever, please always feel free to leave a comment. We'll try to get that person on, right, if, it's, if we feel it's... Uh, applicable to the podcast, right? And we feel it'd be a good episode. So let us know. And let us know in the comments what you think about Texas, what you think about civil wars. Do you think that that could happen? Is that something that you feel we're headed down or we're already in or, right? Um, it's an interesting conversation. So anyway, thank you so much for listening and keeping an open mind. Um, let's just see what happens in the comments. Let's go for it, guys. Uh, let's, let's dig in. Let's, let's talk about this. All right, guys, again, as always, thank you so much for supporting and listening to the podcast. We literally could not do this without you. Uh, it means everything to us, every comment, every like, every share, every everything. It means the world to us. I, I mean that. Um, every listener, every viewer, you're all equally important because I'm also a fan. I'm also a listener. I'm also a viewer, right, of other content. I know what that feels like. So I do my best to make people feel a part of the conversation. So again, jump into the conversation, jump into the comments on YouTube, you know, um, that's where most of it happens, to be honest with you. I, I would say all of it, uh, to, be, to be frank. Um, jump in there, let's talk. I'm all about open conversations. You'll notice that in the comments, I'm happy to discuss things. Um, so yes, let's keep the conversation going. Again, couldn't do it without y'all. Y'all are everything. You listening right now, you watching this right now, you are important and you matter to us. I mean that genuinely. Um, and yeah, we do this for you. So um, we wanna make sure we're providing the best content and the best conversation. So if we're not, let us know. Okay guys, as always, stay Lone Star. See you next week. listening to the Lone Star Plate podcast with your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. For more info, go to lonestarplate.show.